here we are. Welcome back to the uh, the Aerospace Executive Podcast. I am uh, I'm really happy to have an old friend with me, um, Sam Hamoud, is the senior vice president, head of uh, CFM, and uh, head of the module factory for FTI. Uh, FTI has been taking the world by storm, the turbine engine and aircraft leasing arena, 350 uh, CFMs in its portfolio, and uh, 100 aircraft. Right, Sam? Am I am I right with that? Yes, sir. And uh, thanks for having me on, Craig. Uh, honestly, I've been looking forward to this. It's good to to have a good chat with a good old friend. So uh, thank you. Yeah, man. No, I'm happy to have thrown to throw DK on. So, uh, so let's talk. Let's talk about what you guys are doing at FTI. You, you know, relatively sort of relatively new company. It, you know, last four or five years, a little bit longer. Came out of Fortress, right? Yeah, yeah. No, so I'd say we're busy, and maybe I can just kind of give a quick overview uh, to those who don't know us. We're an independent aerospace company, and and we're focused uh, on aircraft leasing, engine leasing, and then engine maintenance. Um, We've got 350 CFMs, and then we've got a few others in our portfolio. We're publicly traded. Um, Company was founded in 2011 uh, by Joe Adams, and so he's got uh, he's got pedigree coming from uh, from Fortress, but also he founded Aircastle as well, and so. We've definitely got an aviation background in our DNA. And then over the last, I'd say, five to six years, uh, our business is really laser focused on, on the narrow body market and primarily the, the CFM 56 platform. Um, and the mission there was to do, do more than just a traditional leasing business. We wanted to vertically integrate that platform all the way down to the piece part, right? Because that's a that's a massive market. It's the largest in history. It's also one that's stabilized very well. And so um, just the way that the engine's built and the way the market structured lended itself to a lot of opportunities to, to add value to operators, save folks money, and then also build a, a, a healthy business out of it. And so that's what we've done. And, and I can obviously talk through a bit more about uh, some of the, the unique things that we're doing and what we're looking ahead at as well. Yeah, no, look, I mean, obviously, we've worked very closely. We've been watching you know, uh, the Quick Turn Engine Center. Down in uh, down in Miami, yeah, I know you're you're working heavily with uh, the Lockheed Martin guys up in uh, in Montreal. Talk about some of the other things that uh, that you're heavily involved in. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I think I would say our mission really is to acquire, maintain, and manage the world's largest fleet of CFM. You know, it really kind of comes down to our our partnerships. And so, first, just you know, the things that we do on our own, the aircraft leasing and the engine leasing business that that's been established for quite some time. But then um, beyond that, uh, we've gotten really heavy into the maintenance space. And so um, we've got uh, a couple key partnerships that I'll go through. Number one would be the Module Factory, uh, which is a, a strategic partnership with Lockheed Martin that's based up in their shop in Montreal. It's a beautiful facility. Um, it's a great team. We, we've been in that partnership since 2020. And essentially, that's our home base for all of our heavy maintenance. Um, and then over the last three years, we've worked with their team to actually transform that shop into a unique operation that supports the modular maintenance philosophy uh, that we offer for our customers. The engine in itself really is a it's a it's three engines in one just because of the the way it's built. The partners GE and Safran they built certain parts of the engine uh, across across the Atlantic Ocean and then they shipped those to each other in containers to to build the final product. And so uh, we're taking advantage of that. Many airlines have used uh, who have their own MROs also have been doing that for many years. And so what we're doing is uh, we're using our scale and inventory to be able to offer that type of flexibility to the market, to those who don't have their own shops and, and can't do such a thing. 
And so that that's a business that we're continuing to grow. And then, you know, we're partnered with them at least through the end of the decade. Uh, the next one would be our, our used serviceable material partnership. And so for those who, you know, who, who, who may not be able to embrace that modular approach on every engine uh, will need parts, right? Parts are, um, they're definitely a, a key element to doing maintenance and doing it cost effectively. So we're, we're partnered with AAR here. They're a major name and they've been a great partner also for about three years where uh, they manage our tearing down of 50 engines a year to create a, a massive war chest of used parts that we uh, we sell to the market, but then we also use ourselves. So we, we link that directly to what we're doing up at Lockheed. That's been a very successful business and we're continuing to grow that. Lastly, we've got uh, Quick Turn, which um, that's a 50-50 joint venture with, uh, with Unical, mm-hmm. who are owned by Platinum Equity. And that came around actually most recently. So that shop wa- was the iAeroThrust facility, which has actually been around since the 60s. It was the old Pan Am facility. So yep. it's actually it's really cool to walk through that building. You see some of the old uh, the old relics there. They have the uh, the Pan Am Clipper route on this giant mural. Uh, it's up in the attic. Um, I've been pushing to get that thing refurbished and uh, put down in the lobby. I think it'd be pretty cool. Absolutely. Yeah. But anyways, look, we saw an opportunity there. That was a shop that um, had lots of investment in it over the last, let's say, three to four years by the old owners for a market that really never materialized. And so we bought it and uh, together we refocused that business to solely uh, address the the hospital maintenance market, um, also be a feeder for our module exchange business, uh, and then also for our parts. What's really interesting about Quick Turn, though, is that it really now allows us to go direct B2B and even directly to the airlines, right? So we can now, we can take our solutions that are really asset-driven, inventory-driven, and now we can offer that under a single contract under one roof. We say, just send me your engine, we'll take care of it. So that's been exciting. Uh, You've helped us uh, build that leadership team as well. So very much appreciate it uh, for that. I think that's working out really well. Appreciate your trust. No, that's been fun. I mean, you know, the, uh, the I aero thrust and then before that just aero thrust, you know, baby, everybody, you know, JTADs and little baby yeah. eights going through there and you're like, wow, what a, what a difference a day makes, you know, 10 years and JTAs are all gone and you guys got a test cell down there. Yeah, it's and, great. Uh, and so the test cell was a, was a huge advantage and it's one that we wanted to jump on quickly. We know others are looking at it, but we said, look, there, there's no better opportunity. And sometimes, you know, luck and timing, right. Is is when an opportunity is there, we got to be ready to jump on it. And so we quickly realized, look, whatever state the business is in, this is an asset that we can grow and is critical. And it's already it's already showing that value. How many um, engines an hour are in that shop? I mean, you guys took it from zero. Kevin's down there now. And I know he's juggling a lot of balls, but you know, how many engines do you have in there now? Yeah, we've got more than we have more than 30 engines in the shop at any given time. We've also got a queue of engines waiting the test cells booked out at least two months, right? Because in addition to supporting its own, you know, the own, uh, let's the, the in-house MRO work, uh, it's the only test cell in the region uh, that can do 7B um, where, so we're capturing a lot of the market share on testing from the Miami area. And then even some of the majors that, you know, we have very amicable partnerships with like the Lufthansa's, MTU's, uh, BP's, they're sending all their engines for tests there. So, uh, it's nice. Um, it's nice to to be able to be the core of where things are happening. We also know that others are also building their own test cells as well. But just like everything in the industry, it's <laughs> things are taking very long right now. So it's good. I think it's a win win for everybody. 
What uh, I mean, look, you know, a lot, lot happening in the uh, the engines world. Obviously, the five B, seven B are going to be around for a long time. Um, CFMs are going to be pretty stable, but the uh, you got the Leap One A, One B coming in. Um, how do you see the the market transitioning a little bit as 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 time moves forward? No, it's a great question. I mean, I think what we're seeing from the folks who have these large orders for the new the products, they they want to get them as fast as possible. Now, it seems like that's not happening uh, for many reasons. I think the supply chain is still trying to to recover from COVID, but because of that, that's you know folks are trying to get those as soon as possible, get them in the air. But they're holding on to some of the older assets, the five B and the seven B, which again is is supporting the growth in the market that we're seeing, uh, and it's really a tailwind. We're also seeing it on the MRO side as well. So all the old guard, the you know the the majors who've been in the space for a long time, your Lufthansa's, your MTU's, standards, et cetera, everybody's focused on the leap uh, and the GTF, and they're working to bring those in. And so they've got a pretty interesting balancing act that they're working through, which is demonstrate that you can demonstrate that you can do the work, you can add value, especially on the leap. Uh, CFM has a very interesting philosophy there with the open market. And so uh, it's going to be really fun to watch how each of these players who can absorb this while also still trying to still trying to capture the existing market share. Uh, it's funny, we're seeing, you know, while the leap's coming on and you have these major shops focusing on the leap and the GTF, you still have the major airlines going out with RFPs on the CFM, right? And so if you're a heavy MRO, you, you've got some interesting choices to make. You're like, I want this work, but I also want to get ahead on the leap. I want to start developing repairs. And the GTF as well, they're having, you know, I think it, you've seen in the market here that they've had some some teething issues with their engine. And sure. so, you know, that network, I think, is, is, is approaching it a bit differently. That's a more closed approach. Uh, so those shops are going to be busy. So no, I think at the end of the day, you know, as fast as they can keep those on wing, that that market's going to keep growing. But we're focused more right now is is for the next three to five years. We think, look, because of all the factors that are happening in the macros with the new products, this is a good time to see how we can help customers cost effectively keep the older ones flying. Sure. I mean, how do you see? You know, obviously, COVID disrupted you know the engine trading, leasing, pricing, parts. And then yeah, everybody was a lot of people were talking about it. You know, MRO capacity is going to fall off. You know, COVID disrupted everything. How have you guys taken advantage of? I mean, you're in every deal. Every all the all the traders out there tell me you you're in every deal. Pricing is held up. How do you see the parts market MRO side of the house? What uh, where do you see the? You know, where do you yeah, see I it mean, all going? You're right about that, right? And and actually, that was about when I had joined FTI. And what we what we saw back then is that that was a really good time to buy, right? And and a lot of folks weren't buying. A lot of folks were kind of wait taking the wait and see approach. Um, so we we made hay while the sun was shining, and we were able to to get you know a lot of good assets at a good value that now are paying off, right? A lot of those assets really were the the seed found the seed feedstock to feed the modules business, the parts business, and so it's helped us get a head start. And then now having established sort of those outlets for, for assets, right? For us, gives us the opportunity to look at an asset differently and say, hey, look, okay, well, while someone may just look at this as a flyer, get a couple, you know, thousand cycles of green time out of it, we see a whole secondary life after that phase that we can continue to monetize that. But what we're also seeing is other folks are are, are seeing that as well. We're seeing the market catch up. And, and so we see prices go higher, but 
the OEMs are also raising prices on their side, and that really kind of anchors the market. So while you know the acquisition side prices are going up, we're also seeing on the sales side that prices are supporting that. So we're going, we're humming. Um, you know, right now we don't see any reason that we would need to slow down, and it feels like the market's seeing the same, seeing it yeah. the same as well. What are the airlines telling you they're looking for? Are they looking for a couple thousand cycles until the uh, until they retire the airplane and and replace it with a, a newer A320 or, or Max or are they gold plating stuff or are they yeah are they all just kind of all over the place and how they every airline is a different has a different need. You know that's been really interesting. I'd say it's it's kind of a little bit of everything. So I would say a few years ago, right, the the standard was gold plate, build it new. But recently, just you know, participating in some of these large RFPs, we partner, uh, we partner with folks as well, right? Because sometimes, you know, having that MRO partner who has the the fifty years, the decades of of expertise helps. It's complementary. Um, but what we're seeing is folks looking for half life builds, looking for focused on used parts, very cost sensitive. Um, turn time is also huge as well. Um, and then I think the openness for creative solutions has been the most interesting. I think the modules approach has been great. I think when we first uh, when we first brought the module concept to market at scale, it, we won the WestJet deal. That was I would say probably almost a year campaign, and a lot of that was sort of educating and 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 you know showing how like look this is a great alternative. It saves you a lot of money. You're not trading off anything from a te- technical standpoint. We're seeing now customers ask for that upfront. When they say, "Hey, I want to send my engine here," they say, "Give me, give me the new option, the gold plate option, but also give me a module option or give me a used parts option." So, that's created this secondary market for parts, for modules, for creative, you know, for leasing. I think it's good. I think you know, for companies out there who can bring, let's just call it the toolkit of options, I think they're going to win it. We're also seeing folks who are looking uh, more at non-exclusive deals. Um, than you know, tying it all up with one provider and protecting their options. Coming from the airline world, I know that that that's going to add more strain, uh, need more resources to manage. But I think airlines are starting to see that you know it's it's definitely a trade off that's worth it, right? If if you put a little bit more manpower on trying to actually analyze this and think about what is the best thing to do for this particular asset, there's a lot there's a lot of value there. There's a lot of cost to be saved and and. And ultimately, it's worth it. And so we love that. Honestly, I, I think it's really interesting. And uh, on the PMA side, the DER side, we're also seeing interest in that as well, both from our fleet, but also from from our partners. So it's it's good. I think it's a good time to to be in the market. You know, the um, PMA DER, you know, that's interesting. You know, you know, back in the day, the leasing companies would sell their mothers before they put a PMA or DER part in, their, in one of their engines. Are they starting to look a little different to that? Um, do you think they're opening their eyes a little bit and saying these things are pretty good and they really don't do the the, you know, the PMA doesn't devalue the the value of the engine? Are, are they looking at options or is that still a little bit of a tough putt? I, I think it's I think it's fragmented. The airlines are definitely looking at it more seriously, especially those who own their assets. Yeah. Uh, I think lessors is probably a bit longer. Uh, we're seeing. We're seeing some interest, but I would say that's probably still two to three years out before that, you know, really takes off. But, you know, folks, you know, folks like American folks who are who've been doing their own work historically for a long time, they know it. They know the product well. Um, and right now, uh, some of those parts are actually the only option you have besides buying a new part. And so 
just the savings there are tremendous. When you talk about those parts, those hot section, cold section? Hot section parts primarily, like uh, chromoloid's got a good part, the, the LPT1 vein. That part scraps uh, pretty high percentages at every shop visit. And even the repaired ones generally don't perform as well. And so that's just created a huge imbalance in supply demand on that part. So prices are going up on the ones that you can find almost to new. And then uh, otherwise, you're buying new or you're waiting 60 days to get it back. So you're basically forced into a corner to make a hard decision to say, I'm either going to wait 60 days without my engine or I'm going to spend a lot more money and buy it new. And I think the PMA is going to find a, a nice niche there um, in that decision point. Let me shift out of the airlines a little bit. Let's talk about the military. Um, the Navy's now got the P-8 Poseidon flying around. I think they've had a wake-up call as to CFM and you know low-flying airplanes over saltwater and CFM use. And seems like they're you guys working with. Uh, I know uh, I know AAR is taking care of most of their airplanes out of Indy. I think Standard Aero is doing a lot of stuff with uh, with their motors too. Yeah, are you guys working with Standard Aero, and uh, are, are they becoming a customer at all, or no, not really? Do you no, care? not really. We haven't really ventured into that market, you know. And, and it's not that we wouldn't. Uh, I think we'd look at anything uh, if it makes sense for us. But generally, right now, we've not uh, we've not had any relationships with the military. So I think with 350 engines though in your portfolio, you got to be the biggest by far, the biggest. Uh, that's the goal the biggest provider right no that's the goal and look honestly like we you know we get the calls what, one other thing that we're seeing that's pretty interesting right is that um, shop visits always been the traditional way to manage maintenance but one thing that i, I see growing is airlines who are leasing engines from lessors they've got a they've got a big maintenance event that has a lot of dollars tied to it that they've got to decide what they're going to do at the redelivery and so We've done quite a few transactions recently where we'll provide an exchange engine and we'll work directly with the airline and the lessor. And this becomes a tripartite deal that's really a win-win-win for everybody. It just creates a pool of savings that can be shared amongst them. And at the same time, you're not overbuilding an engine where this airline might only need it for, let's say, three to five years. And so you know, why go through the hassle of, of putting your engine out of service for four to six months overspending to overbuild it, right? Just doesn't make any sense. So that's an area I think we're focusing on a lot is is keeping a large inventory of of green time engines of every you know shape and size. The module factory helps us do that, right? Because basically we're taking the three modules off the shelf and building an engine more or less to order. So everybody meets return conditions and uh Lester's happy, airlines happy. You guys are yeah, happy. exactly. They negotiate it and they say, hey, look, there's enough value here. You take some, I take some. You get an engine, you're good. Technical is not even the question. It's amicable, right? And then at the end of the lease, you've got a run out engine, which that's something we can look at. There's a whole market supporting that type of product anyway, right? On the part outside. So I love it. It's it's yeah. fun to watch you guys. Like I said, you're, I know you're in every deal because I'm talking to everybody. They're like, ah, F ties in the deal. So yeah, it's uh they they say it almost with a with a sense of uh uh dread. It's like uh F ties coming to the table. So I guess <laughs> you're the first call for, for a lot of people. Yeah, you know? I've not heard that, but that's great. That's uh... it's it, it's been fun to watch y'all over the last couple of years for sure. Let let's shift gears a little bit. So when you and sure. I first met, we were introduced by uh by a good friend at United Airlines. Yep. Uh Tony Spaulding. And uh you ended up in New York City. You're like, hey, I really want to be up in the New York City area, and it and it all worked out. But you're still a really young guy. 
And you guys are a young management team. You got Dave Marino up there, you, Stacy. You're you're going up a bunch of a lot of experienced players. How did you get there and how's all that worked out for you? That's great. And no, like big shout out to Tony, right? He's great. He's been a great mentor to me. And so, you know, sometimes you just got to be thankful to the people that you come across. No, I honestly, when I, when I came to Fortress, I, I was actually surprised at how young the team was, but yet how capable. I mean, just, you know, David and Stacey, like David, he's he's already 40 under 40. He started at the beginning of the company. Um, he started in 2013. He was he was in finance. Uh, both Stacy and David actually are in finance too, which is a really interesting counterbalance. And he, you know, he helped take the company public. And so since then, he was sourcing deals, managing assets. And then one thing David brought is he brought the CFM 56 vision early. He he realized, hey, look, this is a huge market, and um, it's such a simple engine in a sense that if you gain an advantage and just you know, vertically integrate and do this right, you can, you can, you can make a very healthy business out of it. And so over the years, being a young guy, he was able to influence and do the right things to steer the business there. He was the visionary behind the module factory in the USM. And so ultimately I came on just as we were going to, just as we were signing to deal with Lockheed, literally my first day, I, uh, I got a 300 page contract dropped on my desk and uh, they're like, hey, what what do you think? <laughs> I was like, all right, let's go. Looks looks good. Yeah, yeah. And actually, I'd met David um, when I was back at United, so they were a customer of ours when I was working for Tony out in San Francisco. Uh, we were doing some Pratt four thousand work for them, and then when COVID hit, you know, basically United, uh, all the airlines, right, were more or less looking at how do we keep the lights on. You know, at the end, it was me and a skeleton crew of folks. Uh, a lot of people had left. Um, and so we had six Fortress engines left to deliver. And so I was going in the shop every day um, with a mask on. This is pre-vaccine, right? So this is when this is back in the day when folks did worry about it and when I was worried about it. But look, long story short, we we got the engines out. Um, I think that earned some goodwill with David. And then, you know, let's a couple months later, he gave me a call. He said, Hey, look, we're still at this. We're building a module factory on CFM. These are the discussions we'd had when I was at United. And Said, do you want to come on and run this thing? I said, absolutely. I, I remember I was out in Turkey and I was jumping in a hotel room at like two in the morning. That's been great. And then I get in and then I meet Stacy and then she's also a finance background. She started early and then you know over three years working with her, she she's a true executioner. So like uh, it's interesting. Her and David are a perfect counterbalance. He's he brings the vision and she's an executioner who who knows how to get deals done start to finish. One thing you know that's been awesome with Stacy is that she's she's brought she's been the champion to bring a very unique culture to our company. Uh, you can imagine in the early days it was a small group of, of folks who were very intimate, and you know we've grown so big, um, and she's been instrumental in implementing this culture that I would say puts us on par with massive companies, but better because we can we still have that small team feel, um, and so it's a great combination. And then for me. I just brought the aviation background, I think is, is, is where I really fit in here. And so, you know, uh, all these ideas float around the office and it's, it's very collegial. It's, it's collaborative. Things happen so quickly. The decisions happen so fast. And so I would say my contribution to the team is that, you know, I can take, you know, and I try, I always strive to take some of these ideas and say, Hey, let's go actually implement these make them happen. Let's mm -hmm. you know bring the voice of the customer to this. Having the airline experience and the MRO experience, I get leaned on to to provide some of that insight. So I think it's a very healthy balance. And 
um, it's great. Honestly, it's been the most exciting job I've had in my career. And I think there's a lot ahead of us. Are you, I, I suspect you'll be the next on the 40 under 40 list. Are you even 35? Are you even 35 yet? I'm 34, actually, almost there. There you go. So how many people? So you got the module factory down in uh, Miami reporting to you. You got all sales and marketing reporting to you. How many people under your wing? So under my wing right now, I've got seven. Uh, That's soon growing. That's that's soon growing by a few more just as we grow to just meet the demand. I've got a team based in Montreal with Lockheed. Um, I've got some folks in Wales as well. And then I've got some folks in Miami. Um, and so, and then our head office is in New York. So in all the companies, about 30 people, that's it. So, and it really is just, it's insane when you think about how small the company is and and what we're managing. It's great. Um, what's, what's the focus though? I mean, when you, you talk about the culture, is it a culture of, Hey, let's get the deal. Let, you know, let's be smart and get a deal done. Obviously, there's not a lot of analysis by paralysis or paralysis by analysis there. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah, every day I wake up and I see something, F Ty's doing something. I'm like, wow, you guys are you what's you know, what explain the culture you guys have created and talk about you know what's the culture that uh maybe people should be should be looking at you guys for. You know, I would say it's it's a couple of things. First, I would say it's people. Um, this company is relentlessly focused on hiring and making sure we have the right people. It's mm-hmm. it's stayed small intentionally, and I think that's a good thing, right? Because you know, and, and when we do hire, oftentimes, and you know this, right? You've actually been you've been a partner to us on this now for for a couple of years, but you go in wanting one thing, and then after the search, you realize. Maybe I didn't need just that. I could use something else. And then generally you meet somebody who surprises you and you bring them on and then they they show you things you didn't know and they take you in a direction you weren't planning on and you embrace that. So I think, you know, the people focus is huge. We always want to make sure we have the right people on the bus. We're very meticulous about that. The other thing is speed, speed in making decisions. I think uh, one of the, one of the common pieces of feedback we get from our customers is that you guys are so fast and it's not a fast and like a reckless way. It's thoughtful. I would say that's, that's where I think the finance background of the company is very interesting. They, they are really, they are speed demons and modeling things. It's crazy. Like the, I've never seen, I've never seen folks use Excel the way that our team does. It was really, it was, it was impressive that they like remove certain keys off the keyboard because it gets in the way that like that kind of thing. I was like, this is just a whole nother level uh, of finance, but ultimately what that does is, is you have a vision, you have an idea, and within an hour, you've got a model to say, is this going to work or not? And then if it works, and then at that point, it's like, let's go do this. And then, you know, I, I would say the the last piece of it is just kind of creativity, right? We want to make sure that, you know, we're always thinking out, we're always thinking outside of the box. If we lose something, I think we all take it very personally. Everybody's always focused about, you know, how do we, how do we do better? Uh, we have a saying uh, when we look at each other, it's like, would you want you know, when we look at team members, when we look at partners, like would you want that person in your foxhole? Right. Mm-hmm. I use the war analogy, but sometimes, you know, certain days you feel like you are in battle with, with your comrades. But everybody I work with, I would want in my foxhole. Um, and I hope they feel the same. I think they feel the same. And, you know, I think that's part of the magic. I think, you know, we will spend many hours a week together and then still want to go together to the bar and have drinks and and that's unheard of. Usually you're like, I've seen enough of you. I'll see you Monday. Um, yep. That's just not the case. 
Well, that's nice. Yeah. I mean, it's the, do I want to go to dinner with this person? You know, exactly. it's the, 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 do I want to hang out with this person philosophy? You know, you, you work well with people you like and you get along with, and uh, you know, it's, 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 it's good to see the culture because, you know, you got the big companies there and they're, they're slow, they're lumbering. They can't make decisions. They, they need nine, you know, nine signatures on a contract. And if somebody blocks, you know, nothing gets done. And then, you know, it's, so it's, it's refreshing to see how you guys are taking it yeah. to a different level. I love, uh, I love when we hire new folks and they come in and I, I get, I went through this myself and then I get to watch them go through the kind of the shock of like, wow, this is different. And I was saying, it's like, you, you got to break your brain a bit, break your brain where sometimes like your, your old ways of thinking and logic kind of get away of a creative idea. And it lets you take some interesting risks, but good risks, right? Ones where you say, Hey, look, like, this is not going to burn down the business here, but if we get it right, and oh, by the way, we're going to do everything we can to get it right, this could be a huge opportunity. And it's exciting to be part of something like that. Now, are your customers coming to you? I mean, obviously, you talked about the, the speed at which you can model. You guys probably thought about you know scenarios, nine ways to Sunday. Are your customers coming to you and thinking, saying, hey, look, yeah, we're, we're are, you, are you guys the first call? Are they coming to you and saying, hey, we're thinking about doing this? And you give us some options or are they just throwing out an RFPs and, you know, come one, come all? I think it's a mix. I mean, I hope we are, right? It feels that way for some. So we've got some pretty good relationships with some some companies out there where, you know, we gained a reputation of being easy to do business with and, and being flexible. So I think there are folks who call us first. Um, other times we're approaching people cold. We have a certain relationship and then we say, hey, look, let me show you something you haven't even thought about and let's get your idea. And I would think we're regularly doing that. And then, yes, there is typically the RFP process. We get some of those. You know, at the end of the day, we've, we participate. We always will put our name in the hat. You know, what's behind a document, right? A two-page RFP or three-page RFP is that you really never know what's happening behind the scenes. What's really driving this? Is it a cost thing? Is it it's a balance sheet? It's P&L? You know, who knows? You know, for us, we always prefer that direct relationship where we can just talk and say, what are you trying to solve for here? And then just give us some time to think about it and, and we'll come back to you. That's always the preferred way to go. You've got a lot of good competition out there. You know, you know, you got Elf, your typical leasing companies. Do you guys see yourselves becoming, you know, you know staying a little bit more focused, more, more on the engine side with a hundred aircraft portfolio? Do you see yourselves growing the you know, growing the aircraft side of the house, you, you just see a good mix and you're going to do deals as you, as they come, you know, execute on the good ones, leave the good, you know, the other ones to somebody else. I, I definitely, I would say we're engine focused for sure. I think for us, but, but we, we do have aircraft. We have a, a large fleet of aircraft and a lot of those really come through some of the, the bigger, you know, sale lease back deals. Uh, ultimately though, our end goal is to get to the engine to then get to the modules and then the parts, right? So just kind of trickle down down the value chain. But we're always looking at new opportunities. And if something presents itself um, that we think, hey, look, we can build something sustainable out this, we'll do it. We'll look at other engine types. I think, I know we've talked a lot about the CFM. If you, if you couldn't tell, that's our favorite engine. But uh, the V2500 is another one that's had an interesting interesting few months in the, or let's say a couple years in the market. And so um, we're seeing that strong. And so we're keeping our foot, we're keeping our foot in that market as well. Uh, we've got, I think, about 60 engines in that space. So, look, I mean, I think where there's good business to be had, we'll be there. Where we can add value is really where we want to focus. Uh, we'll look at new engine types, but you know, 
it, it's not as interesting if it's just, you know, kind of a pure play. It's always more interesting uh, to say, hey, I can do this. But then if I vertically integrate a bit where I partner with somebody, I can extract a lot more value for, for both of us and for the and we can offer something unique to the market. Those are sort of the, the magical combinations we're always looking for. A little bit of, I'm going to take a little bit, of, you know, Rolls-Royce has been struggling a little bit. Their CEOs put a, you know, Wall Street Journal, you know, Financial Times, he's, you know, kind of quoted himself saying, hey, we've eroded a lot of shareholder value. But they've always been very tight with their aftermarket and their MRO. Do you see them finding some daylight there and saying, maybe, maybe there's other people we need to be partnering up with? And would y'all be in that mix? Would that be something you'd want to do? Or even on the G, the bigger engines of the GE90s? That's hard to say. I mean, look, we've we've looked at everything. We've looked at the GE90. We're looking at it. I think that's an interesting engine. I think it's going to have a long life, especially the bigger model. The counterpoint on, on the rolls is interesting is that they've just announced that they had you know one of their best quarters in, in years, right? And so one would say, hey, maybe maybe this is the right model. I just needed to wait to get out of the get out of COVID and get out of the the disruption of the market. So. I can't speak to roles and what they would do, but like I said, I mean, if, if there's an opportunity, we'll try to put some math to it and and see if it makes sense. But no, we're definitely always looking at that as well. I know you're publicly traded, so you know if you can't answer this, don't worry about it. You guys got to go start to look at. I mean, you've got Quick Turn, um, you've got your partners up in uh, up in Montreal. Are you going to look at some other? You know, adding some more capacity, or are you going to just let the stuff you got fill up now and then sort of take it as it comes? It's obvious, but I, I can speak to it. We're definitely looking to see how we can expand our global reach. Um, we're, glow, we're growing our Dubai office. We're growing our Europe office. Those are areas where we don't necessarily have the hubs that we have in, in North America. So, you know, definitely looking to, to grow that way or grow out to the east, so to speak. Both, uh, We think China is a huge opportunity as well. Uh, I think that's interesting, China especially, because that's normally been a a very closed market, very highly regulated by the CAC, um, prohibitions on used parts, things like that. But what we've seen in the last few years is that they're opening up. They're they're slowly and gradually approving folks to go play in that space. I think the Chinese market's been, you know, it's been so tightly controlled by the OEMs that there's a lot of pricing power that they have there. So that's a ripe market for disruption and for opening up. So we're looking at that closely. Uh, and yeah, and then Europe as well. Just, you know, we do a lot of business in Europe. We have a massive customer base there. So having a footprint there just makes a lot of sense. But I go back to kind of what we started with earlier is we would always want to do this with a partner, right? I think the partnership's better because you share a bit of risk on it and then you complement each other. You know, they bring expertise in, in turning wrenches and running the operation. We bring the assets, we bring the inventory. And, you know, that's a baseline mix, but, you know, we could do it any other way, but it's always we always see it as preferred to have a partner to do that. It gets you going quickly as well. Gotcha. So I'm going to turn turn uh, I'm going to turn another direction. So obviously you're kind of you're you guys are becoming a face to a lot of young executives in the industry. A little bit of the team to be. What's your advice to some young twenty something professional coming up and saying, "Gee, in ten years, I want to be doing that." <laughs> That's a good question. You know, thinking back on, on on my own career and some of the decisions I've made, one of the things that I've always told myself is, you know, stretch yourself and you'll surprise yourself. Just kind of looking back at some of the opportunities I've had, um, I would say that I've always maybe 
swung a, a bit higher to the fence than maybe I was qualified for. Uh, but on the other end of that, there was always a leader who who saw some potential, who was willing to take a chance on me. And that combination, I always look for that when I'm looking to hire somebody, because I think that mix, that combination of interest can, can yield to a very exciting combination. Because for me, I made it my life's work to not disappoint that mentor who bet on me, right? It's like, I'm going to make this bet pay off for you. And so over the years, honestly, I think that's been that that's been great for me, and that's uh, that's helped me, you know, try a lot of different things and learn a lot of different things. So, and that leads me to my second point, which is find good mentors. For me, I've made a I've made a mentor out of every boss I've had, right? And I've had a whole variety of different bosses, from good to to to, to difficult. But I always tried to gain some sort of knowledge or wisdom or experience from that person. I always kind of looked at someone and say, "Hey, look, there's a reason you're in this job." Let me get that out of you. Let me figure out, you know, how can you help me grow? And then I would say the last thing is just be open to feedback. Be open to feedback. You know, don't be defensive. Someone trying to tell you that's trying to help you. Feedback's a gift. Yeah. Even when it's even when it's not so positive, it's still a yeah. gift. Yeah. You know, that's the one thing people have a hard time with. It's uh the the negative feedback. Exactly. Um, but that's sometimes the most beneficial. No, exactly. And 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 being able to kind of turn around and 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 improve yourself and reflect and then just move on, shake it off at that point, you know, and don't, don't dwell on it. I, I think that's something that's so great about the, the FTI team. And I've had other teams like this, but this is especially great is that everybody really is focused on being better individually, kind of doing their part. And that's unique. I, you know, I, I don't know where you find that. Maybe that's part of the secret sauce. Who knows? I think it's fun to be out there you know, I think there's some, there's some fun and there's some inspiration with, Hey, we're going to, you know, we're going to go out, we're going to do some deals. We're going to make some smart deals. We're going to make a lot of smart business decisions. And that's the one thing that you guys have created was the, you know, a, a culture of execution, not, you know, it's, Hey, let's go get this done. And that attitude feeds on itself. And that's uh yeah, it's a nice, it's refreshing to see. So I love it. So how, how do folks get a hold of you, Sam? I'm on LinkedIn, Sam Hamoud. Maybe if, uh, if we're in the industry together, you might have an email or two from me. But uh, check out our website, ftaiaviation.com as well. Just to get to know us better, uh, my, contacts or my contact is on the website. So yeah, and then look, happy to talk to anybody about career, about business opportunities, or hey, just to, to have a conversation. Thanks for right. coming on. Thank you very much. Uh, this was great. And I uh, look forward to continuing the conversation. We're going to do it again. All right. Sounds Thanks, great. Sam. I hope you enjoyed the latest edition of the Aerospace Executive Podcast. You can reach out to me directly, Craig at NorthStarESG.com, or check us out at www.NorthStarESG.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, or on YouTube. Just do a search for Aerospace Executive Podcast. Thanks again. I'm Craig Pickett.